Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. How are you tonight, church? You doing well? This is my cheer squad up here. Um, they're here to cheer on uh, the people that are going to come and share the word tonight. Um, I just wanted to, to preface what we're doing tonight. Um, I've uh, had the privilege of being involved with the youth team for a little while now, just working with the guys. And, uh, and uh, I've got to be honest with you, the, the leadership team in this department has been such a blessing to me. Uh, getting to know them, getting to know their heart, their heart for your young people, their heart for young people in general. And uh, I've got to tell you, this is the start of something big. This youth ministry is, uh, I believe, it's the foundations has been laid for something significant. We're going to start all sorts of stuff soon and, and doing all sorts of outreach. And we just want to see a generation saved and transformed. But what I thought would be an awesome thing, because you don't get to be in youth on Friday night like I do regularly, you don't get to see the caliber and what's inside some of these leaders that are pouring their life out for your young people. And I thought it would be a phenomenal opportunity for us to just grab four uh, of our leaders just to come and share what God's been putting on their heart lately. So you can understand, understand youth ministry is not a babysitting club on a Friday night. Youth ministry is where we raise and release leaders and worship leaders and musicians and the preachers and teachers of the future. That's where we develop them. It's the, it's the hotbed where we, we, we start to develop these young talent. We spot what God is doing in people. We try and highlight and champion the cause of what God is doing in a young person's life. And, uh, and we couldn't do that without a phenomenal team who sacrificed their time willingly. They run connect groups. They run uh, the program on a Friday night. They're in church looking out for young people. And uh, they've just been such a blessing. I, I think it'd be great if we just give them a, a round of applause. Your youth team. Um, yeah. I really appreciate them. You know, there's about 28 or 29 of them, and they are significant young people. They're going to do amazing things themselves. But I love the way they lay themselves down uh, for a generation because they believe like we do in the cause of raising up young men and women like these young men and women behind me. Uh, and so we're going to stand up here tonight, and we're going to cheer on our speakers as they cheer. I want to encourage you. It's a, it's, a, it's a daunting thing to get up here and public speak. Apparently, it's the second only to death as the greatest fear that people hold. Um, and so uh, it is a very intimidating thing to stand up here and look out at a bunch of faces. So I'd encourage you tonight, church, to get behind them, to cheer them on, to give them your love and support um, as they come and share what's on their heart. And I know that you're going to be blessed and challenged, and it's going to be incredible. So without any further ado, I would like to welcome Morgan to the stage. He's going to come and share the word. How are you tonight? Doing good? Now I've got seven minutes and when I practiced this, it went for 11. So I'm just going to kick it straight in. Um, if you've got your Bibles, which you should, let's read uh, John 18, verse 4 to 6. I'll give you a bit of a backstory. So this is, takes place, uh, Jesus and the disciples have just been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it's after the Last Supper and Jesus told Judas that he's going to betray him, all that. And, and anyway, lo and behold, they're in the garden and they see Judas walking towards them with a whole heap of um, armed guards. So we pick up where Jesus approaches them and he says, uh, John 18, 4-6 goes, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them uh, to the detachment of soldiers, um, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Uh, now I've got three quick points I want to bring tonight. Uh, the first two are really good, but the third one's better. So bear with me if I, uh, 
if I, if I rush through to get to the third one. So um, I want to start by everyone for a minute, probably less than a minute. Uh, just imagine yourself being the devil just for a sec. Um, imagine in the time of like Jerusalem where Jesus is walking around and imagine that you are, uh, you're crafting, you're scheming, you're, uh, you're putting a little one of your pet demons in this person and you're, uh, you're, you've got the whole thing kind of mapped out before you and you're, and you're doing your work. And suddenly this, uh, this hillbilly son of a carpenter comes up and starts, uh, starts casting demons out and starts healing people and, and suddenly he's throwing all of your, your schemes and everything all the muck. Now, uh, I'd be pretty ticked off. This, uh, I'm imagining the devil, I'm the devil, and uh, Jesus is, he's burning me bacon at the moment. He's, uh, he's getting me in a real strife. So what's the one thing I want to do? I want him captured. I want this guy dead. I want him gone. So, uh, so the devil makes it his life work to get rid of this just Jesus guy. Um, so he sends his very best, thanks Chris, this morning. He doesn't send his, uh, his uh, three Boy Scouts and a donkey to take him. He, uh, he sends uh, his detachment of heavily armed Roman soldiers. Uh, the, and the message version says that they came with torches, lanterns and swords. So these guys mean business. The devil's scheme was to capture Jesus and to make him captive to the people that he knew would ultimately put him to death. Uh, little did he know that God was just using him, um, as in using the devil for his greater plan. But that's, uh, that's another preach. So my first point is that the devil wants to take us captive. Like Jesus, we we're all destined to be part in God's incredible, unfathomable plan for this earth and His people. Um, Acts 26, 16 to 18 um, says, We've been sent to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light um, and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those sanctified by faith in me. Again, this, this gets the devil's bacon burning. It gets his gears grinding. He hates it. So he wants to take us captive for this very reason. And as Chris was saying this morning, the devil's not original. He uses the same bags of tricks over and over again that he did, he did back then, he does today. So he's still trying to take us captive. Um, while back then, he tries to take Jesus captive with a big detachment of Roman soldiers. Uh, today, it might not be as uh, daunting, but it's still very much as powerful. I believe he uses things like um, our own minds and our thoughts to try and take us captive. He uses stress, anxiety, guilt, unforgiveness. Um, how many times have you been in a situation where you wish you could have done something differently, where you think back and you're like, man, I really screwed that up. If only I'd done this, this, this. It's taking our minds captive. How many times we look in the mirror and don't like the person looking back? It's taking us captive. Um, so that's my first point. The devil wants to take us captive. Second point is, what's our response? How do we react when we're faced with being taken captive? Let's read the passage again from John and see how Jesus responded. So John 18, 4-6. Jesus, knowing all, he was going, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Um, now, I try and uh, put myself in Jesus' situation. It says that he knew everything that was about to happen to him. So for him, this wasn't just a group of armed guards coming up to say g'day. This is, I like to paraphrase a little bit. So um, I like to put, what Jesus knew all that was going to happen to him, I'd like to replace it with what we know happened to him. So Jesus, knowing he was going to be whipped, bashed, beaten, ridiculed, rejected, and a hundred other words, knowing everything else that was going to happen, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Um, now, have you ever made a statement or had a question asked of you or you've asked a question where there's more intent behind the question than we're actually giving on? So, for example, if you're at the kitchen table and you've got a fantastic chicken dinner, you like a chicken dinner? It's a good chicken dinner. So you get in and it's succulent and it's, mm, it's good. And suddenly it's gone. And you look next to you and there's a big bit of chicken on the car's uh, plate next to you. And you go, you're going to eat that chicken? 
the thing is, you're not really interested in whether or not he's full or he's hungry. You're interested is because you want that chicken, but it's not the question you ask. So in the statement where they replied, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus knows what that means. So let's replace that as well. So Jesus, knowing he was going to be whipped, bashed, beaten, ridiculed, rejected, humiliated, degraded, uh, went out and asked him, who is it you want? And this is, this is what I see Jesus thinking. Oh, you know that guy we're looking to uh, unjustly arrest, condemned to an uh, unfair death on a cross? You know, we're looking for that Jesus. And Jesus' response absolutely blows me away. He looks at it knowing exactly what they want and says, I am He. Now, I don't know, if I was in that situation, I'd respond differently. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that Jesus guy, yeah, he was praying over there, you know, his disciples, and I'm just, mm, I'll be gone. And uh, no, Jesus does it totally opposite. When destiny comes knocking on Jesus' door, looking for Jesus of Nazareth, rather than fighting for his life and running away from all he knew that was going to happen to him, uh, he chose to rise to his calling despite the feelings of fears. He trusted in God's will and speaking with all his authority, he said, I am he. And the result is awesome. If we read on, we say, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the grounds. He spoke those three words. That which had come to take him captive fell to the ground before him when he spoke it. So how does this apply to us? When God comes knocking on our door and our destiny comes knocking on our door, should we choose to rise to it despite our feelings, worries um, or worries? We gain authority through Jesus to speak over our captors, over our anxieties, our fears, our hurt over the situation and watch them all fall, fall down before our feet. Now I'm on my last point. I've got 23 seconds. So three words, I am He. Jesus spoke. And to me, they seem like the most powerful, some of the most powerful, meaningful, loving words He ever put breath to. They hold the gospel smack in between their five words and two spaces. I like to imagine myself as, as Judas or one of the soldiers coming to Jesus in that point when I say, I want Jesus. And I just imagine Jesus looking at me, knowing all of my sin, knowing everything that I've done wrong and looking me straight in the eye and seeing my heart and saying, I am He. And more than that, I am He so that you don't have to be. Jesus bridged the gap and He became sin so that the sin which blocked us from God may be moved out the way. This applies to every aspect of our life. I just want to highlight one which I've mentioned throughout. And um, our culture today is being utterly held captive by anxiety, worries, depressions. We only have to look at a generation on the news and we see suicides everywhere. We see um, a generation of people trying to fill something in them with, with drugs and alcohol and going out. And I believe in these three words, if we choose to believe them as they are, hold the key to breaking chains over our generation. When we get ourselves down with this worry, with feeling inadequate, with feeling alone, with feeling the weight of guilt, even after we've sought forgiveness, and when we're in these moments beating ourselves up over something we didn't do, I see our Father in heaven and Jesus next to Him with tears coming down, our fight, down His eyes, pleading with us, saying, um, why are you beating yourself up? Wasn't my beating enough? Why do you continue to wallow in hurt? Wasn't my hurt enough? I am He so that you don't have to be. I see Jesus saying, my child, I became not good enough so that you can be good enough. I became guilt so that you may not dwell in it. I took the pain so that you don't have to hurt. I took the beating so that you don't have to beat yourself up. I became captive so that you might be free. Mark 15, 34 reads, um, At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out, this is when He's on the cross, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we're feeling isolated, unloved and worthless, I see Jesus in heaven now standing, pleading with us to understand. In that moment, I chose to be forsaken by God to bear all the world's sin and have God turn His head from me 
so that He may never, ever forsake or turn away His head from you. Jesus is He. Yeah. Jesus is He so that we don't have to be. It's my prayer that we may firstly have the courage and trust in God to stand over our captors and speak into our destiny, watching that um, as we say uh, those words, uh, all that which comes to ensnare us, we see fall before us. And secondly, when we do have moments where we feel down, when we screw up because it's going to happen, um, we remember that the truth of the gospel, that we have a king who gave it all for his kingdom, a creator who gave it all for his creation and a father who gave it all for his children, that Jesus is he so that we don't have to be. So good, mate. So good. Come on, give him a clap. That was fantastic. What a great word. I am he so that you don't have to be. What a great thought, hey? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, the next speaker I'd like to invite to the stage who's pretty much furniture in this house. She's been here forever. Um, but I just have seen such potential in this young lady and what's inside of her. I'm so proud of her and the growth in her life. And I just can't wait to see what God's going to do in her. Would you welcome Shari Rainbow to the platform, please? Cool. So I'm going to get straight into it. I'm going old school because I don't trust myself not enough to not delete my notes. Um, so I'm going to speak into authority. Authority is defined by the power or right to give orders, make decisions and enforce obedience. Basically, authority commands a response. Just as a police officer can enforce obedience in, when it comes to the law by the authority the government has given him, so can we as Christians have power over our circumstances and situations, our responses, our decisions, and even our future and the supernatural through the authority given to us by Christ. Um, we need authority to see change in one of two things, either personally in your physical being, authority over our own health, our physical being for healing, for breakthrough, or else within our sphere of influence. If we want to see change, I'm a youth leader, I have such a heart for young people, I love them, and if we want to see a generation change, that's no good me coming in and having absolutely no authority with these young people. I don't talk to them, I don't like them, but I want to have authority with them. It doesn't work like that. I have no right to encourage them to invite their friends, to press into God, to seek God, and to just um, come alongside and just raise up a generation that just seeks after God's heart and brings people along the journey with them. If I am one, not doing that myself and two, not being in their worlds and helping them to do that. So quickly, I have three points about authority. Firstly, Jesus is and has the ultimate authority, but has given it to us. Matthew 28 verse 18 says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Basically, Jesus has authority over life and death, principalities and powers. He has the power to heal and restore and obviously the power to influence. And when He's given that to us, that means that that um, responsibility has also been put on us. Luke 9 verse 1 says, Then He called His 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases, which means that the people in His world actually were given that authority. It's a responsibility put on us. It was the people closest to Him. It was the people that knew that He knew their heart. He knew that they wanted the best for others and to bring them on the journey. Um, he didn't and He doesn't just give it away flippantly which leads me to my second point, which is authority stems from relationship with Jesus. The level of authority we possess stems from the relationship we have with Christ. It, he only gives in um, to the... Sorry. He only gave and gives authority to those who strive to know Him and to be like Him. He doesn't want to give it to someone that just doesn't like Him and doesn't want to be with Him. He wants to give it to someone that is after His own heart. 
um, not just in the spiritual realm do we need authority, but in our workplace, our families, our friendship circles. Just like a parent has authority over their kids, as my parents growing up, they had authority over my bedtime. They told me when I had to do things, when I had to leave for school. And that um, authority was given to them because of the responsibility they had and the relationship I had with them. Um, He wants us to have relationship with Him because who you hang around and who you um, do life with ultimately has authority um, and determines who you are and ultimately who you become. There was a study done in 2009 by sociologists um, Christicus and Fowler and it was actually so profound that it made the New York Times which basically came to the conclusion that we're actually subconsciously influenced by every choice our friends make no matter whether we think it or we don't think it. The people that we hang around, if we're hanging around the wrong types of people regardless of whether we're the Christian person and we know what we're doing it actually influences the way that our brain works. And so basically our friends determine our future. Fowler concluded the study by stating if someone tells you that you can influence a thousand people and this was before Instagram so it doesn't count followers it changes your way of seeing the world so authority actually is not just about you and your little circle of friends it actually extrapolates out further than that it's actually well if you influence one person then that person influences someone and actually goes across um, people and it goes across nations and it goes across generations even because one person's thought could change the world okay and thirdly um, authority must be activated. Luke 10 says, um, talks about Jesus sending out his disciples before him as he went into the town. So he sent out 70 disciples. And then at the end of the chapter, Luke 10, verse seven, um, yeah, 17 to 19, says the 70 came back triumphant. Master, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus said, I know. I saw Satan fall like a bolt of lightning out of the sky. See what I have given you. Safe passages as you walk on snakes and scorpions and protection from every assault of the enemy. No one can put a hand on you. Basically, the authority that was released when they put it into practice, they were even amazed. They're like, oh, what is this? How did we, how did we do this? And Jesus says in Luke, um, at the very last verse, it says, all the same, the great triumph is not in your own authority over evil, but God's authority over you and presence with you. Not what you do for God, but what God's does for you. That is the agenda for rejoicing. Keep in mind that authority has been entrusted to you. It's not about what I can do. It's not about me having the platform and that being my place of authority. It's actually what God's doing through me and in me and that actually coming out. Um, So don't seek your own agenda, but one that's greater. Only then will you find and fulfil your purpose within God's great plans for even for yourself, for the people around you and ultimately for this nation and generation. Um, so yeah, I just want to leave you with that, that just to seek authority in your own world. Obviously, it's a large topic that I'm trying to cover in seven minutes. But um, yeah, so just keep um, pressing into God and that's the way that your authority is going to be determined just through pressing into God for his, seeking His Word and just getting to know His heart. So yeah, that's it for me. Awesome. Great job. Fantastic. Another phenomenal word. I think you're getting the idea. There's some, there's some depth in these, these young people. There's some stuff in there that just uh, I think our generation is going to be richer as a result of the, of the depth of character and the depth of revelation that God's put in these young people's hearts and lives. Um, it's fantastic and, and really encourage. You should all be encouraged because what do they say? It takes a village to raise a child. Uh, it's this church that's raised a generation of young people with this kind of depth. So pat yourself on the back. <laughs> awesome. I want to welcome to the stage... A young man who we've been getting to know a little bit better lately, and he is an incredible young man with great influence, and I'm excited to hear what he's going to share. Mr. Duck is in the house. Hello. 
started writing my notes down um, earlier on when I was at home, and I can't read my own handwriting. It's awful. And I, I, like, I like preaching from the iPad better because it's a bit more fruitful, I think. Hey. Anyway, um, so tonight, <laughs> tonight I'm going to speak on... Um, Tonight I'm going to speak on purpose. Um, I've just had this word on my heart. Uh, I've had it for a while now and I, you know, I really just want to share with you. Um, who knows here that um, God has a purpose for everyone in this world? He's got a purpose for all of us. Um, whether you're not in this church or you are in this church, He, he does no matter what. Um, but before I got into it, I wanted to um, share my story uh, back when I was a youth kid, and I wanted Josh to come stand right next to me and give me a hand. This guy's a gun. But anyway, basically growing up, growing up in, um, in uh, I grew up in a Christian home, um, two lovely parents, they brought me to church, and um, you know, that's it, this, these guys right here represent um, Duckworth 101, hashtag. Um, anyway, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I grew up in a Christian home, um, and year 10 and 11, I was just this youth camp junkie like I loved them like I would just hit these things I'll go big on every like youth in Adelaide's like youth camps I loved them I'd make mum and dad pay you know you know Mac is just didn't pay enough but anyway you know I had it all I, had, I was going to the youth camps and um you know I, I just remember every time like two weeks later after a youth camp or three weeks later I would just start to feel real dry I'll just start to begin to lose my passion again and I just, I didn't know what was going on and I just started struggling heaps. And I remember being at the skate park one night before youth and I'm just like, man, you know, I just can't be stuffed going to youth. Like, like I, I just, I'm just sick of it. Like, I'm just, I'm just dry. And, you know, so I just kept on skating and, <clears throat> and one, um, I was, I began to chat to this kid and um, he, uh, like, we were just skating together and just chatting. And I found myself talking to, to him about God and just sharing, you know, what God's done in my life and, and, um, and then I just found myself, I started, I'm like, you know what, man? Like, I'll bring you to youth. Let's go to youth. And um, like, I didn't even want to go to youth. And, and, and um, I just found God just using me to another level. And uh, I can't believe it. And, you know, he came to youth and, um, and uh, we had a great night. Praise and, we had praise and worship and then an altar call at the end. And, and I just remember standing at the back and I was just watching this kid. And he actually responded to the altar call and gave his life. And instantly in that moment, I just felt so on fire again. I was just pumped. And, you know... Um, I believe in life, we just get so distracted by lots of things like, um, you know, we think sometimes we just get distracted by a purpose and um, we think that our purpose is like we focus on our job, um, you know, who we're supposed to marry, the car we drive, the house we live in and, and, and our friends, you know, what, what friends are we going to have? And we just get so distracted on what the actual purpose of life is. And, you know, it says, it says in Samuel 1 Samuel 16, it says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And, you know, when I began to think about that at home when I was preparing, it just began to stir me. It said, you know, I, was just, I just began to ask myself a question. Okay, when God looks at our heart, what does He actually see? And when it comes down to the bottom line, what God actually sees in our heart is others. The reason why we are here, the reason why we are here, the reason why we are living today is for other people. We, we do not like... You know, it's, it says in Matthew 4.18, the first thing that Jesus did when He was recruiting His disciples, it says He saw Simon Peter and Andrew and says, you know what, you guys don't need to go fishing anymore. You guys can come follow me and we'll go fishing for men. Because that is like ridiculously way more important. You know, it, it talks um, in the Bible when Jesus, when someone asks Him, what is the greatest, greatest commandment? God, uh, Jesus goes, love God with all your heart. And then the guy goes, all right, what's the second? And he goes, love your neighbour. 
it's others. That this is why we are living. Like anything in the world, that, like there's so much things in the world that can offer us like, you know, short-term um, pleasure. But at the end of the day, when we are helping other people, when we are bringing other people to Christ, that is actually what keeps me going and keeps me from doing what I want to, like I do each week. Um, and, you know, and seriously, like when I was a youth kid, and I begin to understand that I'm here to serve other people and to help other people. There was no turning back. I, I just could not, I could not miss a, a youth night on a Friday night, you know, whether it be me setting up chairs, whether it be me um, just chatting to people, helping them out. Um, I, I just could not miss a night. And, you know, God has called us just to reach the people of Adelaide and the, and the rest of this world. That That's when it comes bottom line to what our sole purpose is, it's just reaching other people. Yes, our job is important. Yes, all those things are important. But at the end of the day, we're here for other people. It's God first, others second, and me last. My prayer for us, my prayer for us tonight is that, you know, that God would just give us a greater passion and a greater burden for the lost. And that we would just be able to help and change people as much as possible. I don't care how tired I get. You know, because I'll be spiritual high. It's unbelievable. Anyway, thank you guys. Thanks for that. No worries. Awesome. Well, Ian, take your iPad, man. No worries. What a great word. What a great thing. I think it's important that we always remember that in whatever we do. It's easy to get focused on the stuff and the, the stuff that we do that we call church. Um, and the reality is if, if this was it, God would save us and kill us and take us to heaven. The only reason he leaves us around is because there's something for us to do. And that something is to reach other people, yeah? Um, so we need to always keep that in the forefront of our minds. It's awesome. Well, I, I don't want to play favorites, but this last speaker is probably my favorite. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say too much because if I start saying nice things, she'll probably cry and then that will be bad. Um, but my wife is going to come and share her heart. And uh, so, Lise, come on out and... Um, I know that she's going to bless you, and I know that she's got great things to say. So listen up, and it's going to be awesome. Thank you. Hi, how are you going? All right, got to get straight into it. So tonight, I just want to speak to you really quickly about something that's been on my heart for a couple of weeks now, and that's hope. And the definition of hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen, or it's a feeling of trust. So, you know, you can hope in many things. You can hope in your finances. You can hope in um, relationships and family members. You can hope in a job. You can hope in your abilities and your talents. But it'll only get you so far. You can even hope in an addiction. And it'll only get you to there. And then I believe that these things can easily fail us. And then they let us down because they're only temporary. But through living, I believe that there's only one hope that can truly satisfy us, and that's a hope in Jesus Christ. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. We go through so much in life. We go through tough times and uh, we're in and out of jobs and in and out of relationships and we lose people close to us and we go through disappointments and losses and trauma and pain. And we worry all the time about how to juggle and manage things. And it's easy to take things into our own hands and to try and make everything work. 
It's easy to get busy and forget that God wants to take care of us. He, he tells us not to worry, which I should have been listening to out there three minutes ago because I was like, I can't do this. So don't worry. So, um, and he, because he has a plan, we don't need to worry. He has it all in his hand. He has control over our life and he only wants the best for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Do you know hope tonight? The definition to know is to be absolutely certain or sure about something. Maybe you're a Christian here tonight and you've been struggling through life, doing it all in your own and in your own strength. Maybe you've forgotten how to access that hope of Jesus Christ in your situation. Maybe you don't know Jesus yet in this place tonight and you're wondering how can you get help in your situation. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 42, put your hope in God. Psalm 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Don't put off Christ any longer. So how do we access this hope? This is the only point I've got because I've only got four minutes left. So we have to get to know Him. And when we read the Bible, we start to hear about the character of God, about His faithfulness and His goodness and His kindness and His mercy. And that gives us a revelation of our own about who He is. And from that, we have a confidence that gives us an assurance that we can trust in Him to oversee our life. I lived the first 24 years of my life without God. So I know what it is to live with God and without Him. And I walked through some stuff, some painful stuff, like most people in this room I'm sure have. And I turned to relationships and to substances and things like that to try and numb the pain of the hurts that I'd been through in life. But it was only temporary, nothing lasted. Nothing in the world can actually fulfil that need that you have in your heart. I didn't know hope then. At 24, I became a Christian, but that doesn't mean that life became perfect or all the pain went away. It just means that there was now a hope that had come into my heart and into my life that gave me a knowing that everything was going to be okay. The Bible talks about it like being a peace that's bigger than anything that we can explain or understand in Philippians 4 verse 7. So when we walk through a painful situation in life or something we don't understand and we say, you know, why God, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. I thought that it was supposed to be this way, but it's going that way and I don't get it. There's a knowing on the inside of us when we have that hope that says, I trust you, God. I know that you are good. I know that you have the best plan for me and I know that it's gonna be okay. And we can trust and hope in that. You know, Pastor Paul spoke last week about, you know, how we can't live by how we feel because our heart deceives us. I cannot live by what I feel. My emotions must submit to the truth of God's Word or otherwise I could be anywhere today. I will not cry. I'm okay. (laughs) Because that's the reason why I'm standing here. Over the last couple of years, I've had so many questions and my flesh and my heart wanted to run away. I wanted to run away from church, ministry, people, not God, but everything else. But I reminded myself that God is good 
And I stuck around long enough to see Him come through and bring me to the other side. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Even though my flesh said run, my spirit knew God and said, stay because the plan is good. Stay because my plan is to bless you. Stay because I can take care of you. We've got to know God. We need to read about Him. We need to speak to Him. We need to hear His heart and learn about who He is. Remind yourself of the incredible character of God, of His peace and His love and His kindness and gentleness. Maybe you've lost sight of hope tonight. Maybe you've never had this hope that I'm talking about. Maybe you're tired of hoping in all the things that don't satisfy, all the things that let you down. Isaiah 40 verse 30 says, Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. So I just wanted to encourage you tonight, if you're weary, if you're sick or struggling, put your hope in Jesus Christ. You can't lose. He will never let you down. He will never leave you. And He is always good. Awesome. Wow. That was pretty awesome. That was pretty awesome. You know, uh, if we don't tie it all up with a nice neat bow, it would be, he, he is He so that we don't have to be. It all starts with the revelation of who He is. And out of a revelation of who He is, we get authority. Because we understand that it's not my authority, it's His authority. And as I submit to His purpose and His plan, I have authority when I say what Jesus would be saying. And the reason why I do that is because my heart is breaking for the lost because that's what Jesus' heart is breaking for. And out of that, the message that I bring to a broken and hurting generation is that you can hope in my Jesus. You can have faith and belief in my Jesus. Why? Because I know who He is. And I have authority because of who He is. And my heart is broken for you and your brokenness and your pain because of who He is and what He did for me. That while I was still a sinner, lost in sin, He died with a broken heart on a cross for me. And that gives me hope. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 